Welcome everybody to another episode of The Word Made Flesh, where we explore the life, teachings, and legacy of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as told through the Bible. I'm your host, Fitz Criddle. In today's episode, we'll go into the depths of the first chapter of the Gospel of John. John's Gospel holds a unique place among the four Gospels. While the Synoptic Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they are called Synoptic Gospels because they share a similar perspective and content. So while Matthew, Mark, and Luke provide accounts of Jesus' life, teachings, and ministry, John's Gospel reveals the divine nature and identity of Jesus Christ. It invites us to ponder the depths of God's love and the transformative power of his word made flesh. Let's turn our attention to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. This is where we're going to sort of focus our time and attention today. Not going to do an expository podcast over all 18 verses, but going to pick some, some highlights, some main points to discuss. In this opening chapter, in these verses, they serve as a magnificent prologue, setting the stage for the profound truth that await us. In these verses, John introduces us to the concept of the incarnation, the miraculous event where the eternal word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. The incarnation is a central theme that we will explore in depth throughout this episode. It encompasses the remarkable reality of Jesus, fully divine, taken on a human form and entering into our world. This divine act is the foundation of the Christian faith, for it reveals God's boundless love and the desire to bridge the gap between humanity and himself. I want to start with a quote from the Oxford Dictionary of the Christian Church. And I apologize in advance as this sounds so very a complicated quote, but I think it makes the point. And I quote, the Christian doctrine of the incarnation affirms that the eternal son of God took flesh from his human mother and that the historical Christ is at once both fully God and fully man. It is opposed to all theories of a mere theophany or transitory appearance of God in human form, frequently met with in other religions. By contrast, it asserts an abiding union in the person of Christ, of Godhead and manhood without the integrity or permanence of either being impaired. It also assigns the beginnings of this union to a definite and known date in human history, end quote. So our journey in this episode will take us through the following five main points that shed light on John 1, 1 through 18. The first main point, the eternal word. Second, the creative power of the word. Number three, the word incarnate. Number four, the witness of John the Baptist. And number five, the gift of adoption. So my friends, prepare your hearts and minds for a transformative exploration of the word made flesh. 
Open your Bibles, unless you're driving or operating heavy machinery, to John chapter 1, 1 through 18. Let us embark on this journey together. May the insights gained in today's episode deepen our understanding, strengthen our faith, and draw us even closer to the incredible love of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our first main point is the eternal word. The concept of the eternal word is foundational in understanding the divinity and preexistence of Jesus Christ. John 1, 1 opens with a powerful statement. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. John's gospel starts by quoting the opening verse of Genesis 1, 1, which says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This verse emphasizes the eternal nature of the word existing before the creation of the world and alongside God. John 1, 1 inaugurates the word as pre-existent mediator of creation, present with Yahweh from the beginning. To further grasp the significance of referring to Jesus as the word, we can explore the term's meaning in Jewish and Hellenistic contexts. In Jewish thought, the word draws from the Hebrew concept of logos, which signifies God's self-expression and creative power. By using this term, John presents Jesus as the ultimate expression of God, the divine communication and revelation to humanity. Additionally, the word, the use of the word in a Hellenistic context would have resonated with Greek philosophers who contemplated the idea of a universal divine reason or rational principle governing the cosmos. The Expositor's Bible Commentary says, and I quote, the concept of logos has an extensive and varied background in Greek religious and philosophical thought. As far back as Heraclitus, the logos was understood to be the unifying principle of all things. For the sophists, the logos was predominantly human reason. Philo, a prolific writer, and leading citizen of the Jewish community in Alexandria, used the term more than 1,300 times as a mediating figure, linking the transcendent God and the world. In general, Greek speculation viewed the Logos as the principle of reason or order in the world. End quote. The Expositor's Bible Commentary goes on to cite, in Hebrew thought, the Word of God was a dynamic concept. God spoke, and the world came into existence. See Genesis chapter 1. In Psalm chapter 33, verse 6, it says, By the Word of the Lord were the heavens made. Let's also take a look at Proverbs chapter 8, verses 22 through 31. Here we see wisdom is personified and its role in creation is described. And so, of course, we are talking about Jesus here. He is the one who is personified. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I, I was set up 
at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped. Before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his commands, when he marked out the foundation of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman and I was daily his delight. Rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. What an incredible passage. John's gospel bridges these philosophical concepts with the person of Jesus Christ, declaring him as the divine logos, the embodiment of God's wisdom and truth. Proverbs 8, along with passages like Isaiah 55, 11, which says, So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So these passages contribute to our understanding of the eternal word. Isaiah 55, 11 speaks of God's word going forth and accomplishing its purpose highlighting its power and effectiveness. Proverbs 8 personifies wisdom as being present with God during the creation, pointing to the eternal nature of the word. These passages provide additional layers of insight into the divine wisdom and creative agency of the word. Summarizing this section, when referring to Jesus as the word signifies his eternal existence, divine nature and role as the embodiment of God's wisdom and creative power. Jesus as the word is not merely a human being, but the divine logos intimately connected with God from the beginning of time. This thoughtful understanding sets the stage for exploring our subsequent points in John 1, 1 through 18. Point number two, the creative power of the word. The creative power of the word is a remarkable aspect that demonstrates both the divinity and sovereignty of Jesus Christ. John 1, 3 declares, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. This verse emphasizes the word Jesus Christ played a central role in the creation of the entire universe. Nothing came into existence apart from his creative work. The significance. Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 23 speaks of the preeminence of Christ. And I want to read two verses. 15 and 16 out of Colossians chapter 1. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and 
for him. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. If you are observant, and I know you are, there's one word that repeats in these passages I just read. That's the word through. Just so we're all crystal clear as to Jesus' role in creation, let's examine what through means in the Greek. It's the word dia, D-I-A, and it means on behalf of, because of, or on account of. Therefore, all things were made on behalf of, because of, or account of Jesus Christ. Through the word, all things were brought into existence, highlighting Jesus' authority over creation and his participation in the divine work of God. The ESV study Bible says, and I quote, God the Father carried out his creative works through the activity of the Son. This verse disproves any suggestion that the Word or the Son was created. For the Father would have had to have done this by himself. And John says that nothing was created that way. For without him was not anything made that was made, end quote. As a side note, the belief that Jesus was a created being is called Arianism. Arians believe that Jesus, while divine, was a created being and not co-eternal with God the Father. This, of course, is a heresy. It is a false belief. The word's creative power points to his sovereignty, the ability to bring forth and govern the entire universe reflects his supreme authority over all things. The creative act is a testament of Jesus' power and control over the natural order and the destinies of all created beings. Relating the creation account to the concept of the new creation in Christ reveals a profound connection. And this is important. In the opening chapter of Genesis, God's creative work establishes the foundation of the physical world. Similarly, through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, a new creation is brought forth. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17 states, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away before, behold, the new has come. Just as the word brought forth the original creation, he also brings about the new creation in Christ. The transformative power of the word extends beyond physical creation to the spiritual realm. Through faith in Jesus, Believers are reconciled to God, redeemed from sin, and restored to a new life in Him. This new creation entails the renewal of our hearts, minds, and relationships, enabling us to live according to God's purposes and experience the abundant life He offers. 
understanding the creative power of the word deepens our appreciation for Jesus' divinity, sovereignty, and his redemptive work in our lives. It underscores the role of Jesus as the vehicle of creation and the source of new life, inviting us to embrace the transformative power of his word and participate in the ongoing work of his new creation. Point number three, the word incarnate. The concept of the word becoming flesh is a pivotal aspect of John 1, 1 through 18. And this concept is encapsulated in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This verse highlights the profound mystery of the incarnation, where the eternal word, Jesus Christ, took on human form and dwelt resided, lived among humanity. It signifies the unparalleled act of God taking on human nature to reconcile and redeem mankind. According to the Faith Life Study Bible, the Greek word for dwelt literally means to dwell in a tent and likely alludes to the Old Testament tabernacle as God's dwelling among his people found in the book of Exodus. Through his son, God is taking up a post among his people, as he had done for ancient Israel. Now, if we're honest, the incarnation is a mystery that surpasses human comprehension. It reveals the incomprehensible love and humility of God, who willingly stepped into human history to be with his creation, the infinite an eternal God chose to limit himself, to take on the limitations of human flesh and to identify with the joys and sorrows, the struggles and triumphs of human history. The incarnation holds great implications for humanity. Firstly, it demonstrates the divine desire for intimate relationship and communion with humanity. By becoming flesh, Jesus shows us that God desires to be with us, to walk alongside us, and to experience life as we do. It is a tangible expression of God's love and his relentless pursuit of reconciliation with humanity. Secondly, the incarnation is essential to our salvation. Jesus, being fully divine and fully human, is the perfect mediator between God and humanity. As the God-man, he bridges the gap between our fallen nature and the holiness of God by living a sinless life and ultimately sacrificing himself on the cross. Jesus offers salvation and the opportunity for humanity to be reconciled with God and experience eternal life. The significance of Jesus becoming fully human while remaining fully divine is crucial. Jesus' divinity ensures the effectiveness and sufficiency of his sacrifice, making him the perfect and blameless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His humanity allows him to empathize with our weaknesses, temptations, and struggles, for he himself experienced the limitations and challenges of human existence. This enables him to be our compassionate high priest interceding 
on our behalf before God. Praise the Lord. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 says, Since then we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might find mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The incarnation reveals the intensity of God's love, the magnitude of his plan of redemption and the accessibility of a personal relationship with him through Jesus Christ. It calls us to marvel at the humility and grace of our Savior, who willingly became flesh to bring us salvation. Praise the Lord. It also challenges us to respond in faith, gratitude, and surrender to the one who became like us so that we might become like him. I'm going to say that one, one more again. He became like us so that we might become like him. Praise the Lord. Point number four in this episode, the witness of John the Baptist. Now, I want to do a little bit of a historical context. So we're going to talk about John the Baptist a little bit. And I want to break up this into two parts. So point number four is also going to be broken up into two parts, the true light and the witness. So now let's take a look at a little bit of John the Baptist. So Luke documents the miraculous birth of John to Zechariah and Elizabeth in their old age in Luke chapter one. John's ministry began in the Judean wilderness near the Jordan River, following the pattern of Elijah, as evident in his attire and preference for isolation. Wearing camel hair clothing with a leather belt, John called Israel to repentance preparing them for the arrival of the Messianic age. However, his outspoken criticism of Herod Antipas, unlawful marriage to Herodias led to his arrest and imprisonment. Ultimately, Herod had John beheaded and the account of John the Baptist's ministry and unjust execution is also mentioned by Josephus, a first century AD Jewish historian. So let's read a few verses of scripture that refer to John the Baptist in John's gospel. First, John chapter one, verses six through 11. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not that light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. John 1, 1, John 1 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he comes after me, ranks before me because he was before me. The witness of John the Baptist plays a significant role 
in John chapter 1. As he serves as a prominent witness to the word, Jesus Christ, John the Baptist was a prophetic figure who prepared the way for the ministry of Jesus. He testified to the identity and purpose of Jesus, affirming his identity and proclaiming his role as the long-awaited Messiah. John the Baptist's ministry attracted great attention and drew people from all walks of life. He gained a reputation as a bold and uncompromising preacher, calling people to repentance and preparing the hearts for the coming of the Messiah. So now let's look at part one of the witness of John the Baptist, the true light. The theme of the light and the witness in John chapter 1, verses 16 through 11, holds profound significance in understanding the nature and purpose of Jesus Christ. In this passage, John the Baptist is portrayed as a witness who testifies about the coming of the light, which refers to Jesus. The concept of light often symbolizes divine illumination, truth, and guidance. Reflecting on the significance of Jesus as the light, we find that Jesus embodies the very essence of God's revelation to humanity. Just as light dispels darkness, Jesus brings clarity, spiritual understanding, and salvation to a world steeped in sin and darkness. His presence illuminates the path to righteousness and leads individuals out of the shadows of ignorance and despair. John the Baptist's testimony regarding the light is crucial in understanding Jesus' identity and purpose. John's role as a witness was to proclaim the arrival of the Messiah and prepare the way for him. He acknowledges that he is not the light himself, but rather a messenger sent to bear witness to the light. John recognizes his own role as subordinate to Jesus and humbly points people toward the true source of salvation. This is true of all of us. We are not that light. We point people to that light, Jesus Christ. John's testimony about the light carries weight because he was divinely appointed and recognized as a prophet. His witness serves to authenticate and validate Jesus' divine nature and wisdom. Through his preaching and baptism, John awakens hearts to the imminent arrival of the Messiah, emphasizing the need for repentance and readiness to receive the light that will transform lives. As we contemplate the light and the witness, we are challenged to reflect on our own response to Jesus. Do you recognize him as the light that guides our lives, or do we continue to dwell in spiritual darkness? Are we willing to accept John's testimony and humbly submit ourselves to Jesus' authority and teachings? The light of Christ invites us to examine our hearts, confront our sins, and embrace the transformative power of His grace. The light, the true light, and the witness this theme in John chapter 1 illuminates the pivotal role of John the Baptist in testifying about Jesus, the light of the world. Understanding Jesus as a light 
provides us with guidance, truth, and salvation. John's testimony serves as an authoritative endorsement of Jesus' divine nature and mission. As we engage with this passage, we are prompted to reflect on our own response to Jesus' call and our willingness to embrace the light that dispels darkness and brings eternal life. Part two, the true identity. In John 1.29, John sees Jesus approaching and declares, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This powerful proclamation identified Jesus as the sacrificial lamb sent by God to bring forgiveness and redemption to humanity. John the Baptist's testimony goes beyond mere identification. He also speaks about the preeminence of Jesus. In John 1.15, he declares, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Through these words, John acknowledges that Jesus existed before him and holds a position of supremacy. He recognizes Jesus' divine nature and emphasizes his eternal existence. Furthermore, John the Baptist understands the purpose of Jesus' ministry. In John 1.34, he testifies, And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John affirms Jesus as the Son of God, highlighting his unique relationship with the Father and his divine authority. He recognizes Jesus' mission to reveal God's love, offer salvation, and reconcile humanity with God. John the Baptist played a crucial role in preparing the way for Jesus' ministry. He fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 40, verses 3, which says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a way for our God. John the Baptist was a voice crying out in the wilderness, announcing the arrival of the Lord. John's preaching and baptism of repentance stirred the hearts of the people, causing them to examine their own lives and turn toward God. He emphasized the need for humility, surrender, and a genuine desire to repent and seek righteousness. Additionally, John's ministry paved the way for Jesus' public ministry. His recognition and proclamation of Jesus as the Lamb of God helped Jesus' identity and set the stage for his redemptive work. John willingly decreased so that Jesus could increase, pointing his disciples to others to follow Jesus and become his disciple. John Baptist served as a powerful witness to the word testifying to the identity and purpose of Jesus. His bold proclamation and humble ministry prepared the hearts of the people for the arrival of the Messiah. John's role as a forerunner and witness to Jesus' divinity and redemptive mission solidified the importance of Jesus' ministry and laid the foundation for the transformative work he would accomplish. Our fifth and final topic, the gift of adoption. The theme of adoption is a profound and beautiful aspect found in John chapter 1, specifically in verse 12, which states, But to all who received him, who believed in his name, 
He gave the right to become children of God. This verse highlights the privilege and significance of being adopted as God's children through faith in Jesus Christ. Adoption in the context of the Bible goes beyond legal terminology and carries deep spiritual implications. Through faith in Jesus, believers are not only forgiven and reconciled with God, but also welcomed into his family as beloved children. This adoption is an act of God's grace, whereby he bestows upon us the rights, privileges, and inheritance of his own children. Being adopted as children of God carries profound significance. Firstly, it establishes a personal and intimate relationship with God. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. As his children, we have the privilege of calling God Almighty, Abba, Father. We have access to approach him with confidence, knowing that he loves and cares for us deeply. Secondly, adoption into God's family guarantees our spiritual inheritance. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, it is said, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. God in his love has chosen us to be his children, securing for us an eternal inheritance in his kingdom. This inheritance includes the blessing of salvation and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the promise of eternal life with him. Embracing our identity as children of God carries transformative implications for how we live our lives. As his children, we are called to reflect his character, love, and righteousness. We are invited to walk in obedience, to pursue holiness, and to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Recognizing our adoption empowers us to live as a testimony of God's love and grace in a world that desperately needs the hope and light found in Christ. Moreover, understanding our identity as children of God brings about a sense of security and confidence. We no longer need to strive for acceptance or approval from the world, for we are deeply loved and accepted by our Heavenly Father. This truth frees us from the bondage of fear and insecurity, allowing us to live boldly and joyfully as ambassador of God's kingdom. The gift of adoption is a remarkable privilege bestowed upon believers through faith in Jesus Christ. It signifies our intimate relationship with God as his children, grants us a glorious inheritance, and calls us to live transformed lives that reflect his love and character. May we embrace our identity as children of God with gratitude and humility, walking in the truth of our adoption and allowing it to shape every aspect of our lives. In this episode of The Word Made Flesh, we delve into the truths surrounding the eternal word 
Jesus Christ. Through a survey of biblical passages and theological insights, we gained a deeper understanding of the divinity, creativity, and witness of Jesus. The concept of the eternal word, as presented in John 1.1, highlights Jesus' pre-existence and eternal nature. By using the term the word, John connects Jesus to the Hebrew concept of logos and the Greek philosophical understanding of a universal rational principle. Jesus is presented as the ultimate expression of God, embodying divine wisdom and creative power. We further explored the power of the word, recognizing Jesus' role as the mediator of creation. Scripture affirms that all things were made through him, establishing his divine authority and sovereignty. The word's creative power points to Jesus' divinity and his active participation in God's work. This episode then turned to the concept of the word becoming flesh, emphasizes the incarnation. The incarnation signifies God's desire for intimate relationship and communion with humanity. Jesus, fully divine and fully human, bridges the gap between God and humanity, offering salvation and reconciliation. This humanity allows him to empathize with our weaknesses, while his divinity ensures the sufficiency of his sacrifice. Also, we explore the witness of John the Baptist, a prominent figure who prepared the way for Jesus. John's ministry characterized by his call to repentance and his testimony about the light highlights his role as witness. His unwavering proclamation and eventual martyrdom demonstrates the cost of faithfully bearing witness to the truth. And in our last point, we looked at the gift of adoption, that we are children of God. That should bring security and confidence and that we have an inheritance. And as his children, we shall reflect his character and nature. In conclusion, this episode of The Word Made Flesh deepened our understanding of Jesus Christ as the eternal Word, the creative power of God, the witness of John the Baptist, and the gift of adoption. It invites us to marvel at the mysteries of the Incarnation and respond in faith to the transformative power of Jesus' Word. We are called to embrace the divinity, creativity, and witness of Jesus Christ in our lives and to participate in his ongoing work of new creation. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Word Made Flesh. My prayer is that you found this episode insightful and thought-provoking. Please take a moment to rate and review this podcast and it helps us to reach more listeners. And I have a challenge for you today. Share a transformative message of the word made flesh. <laughs>